I started Film Threat when I was 19 years old as a punk rock fanzine at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. Started out as a six-page Xerox fanzine that I financed through a bad check. And I moved on from there, financing Xerox issues through chains that I found in the corner seats of my car. And then I thought, well, I gotta make this thing big time. I have got to make this thing a big time, seriously taken magazine. So I uh, went to Value Village and I bought for $5 a business suit and a briefcase. And I went into a printer and I said, uh, you know, net 30, right? And they're like, fine. So I walked out of there and uh, did this to about four different printers in Detroit until the sheriff was going to take me in for fraud. And I had to sell my entire record collection to pay off some of the printers. And I eventually found an investor who uh, saw the humor and thought it would make a good investment. And here I am today. Called Film Threat, Tales from the Casting Couch. The concept of Cecil B. DeMena really came from what I read in Film Threat magazine. They had an article that their readers should go attack the readers of Premiere magazine. That kind of gave me the idea. And then a critic called me Cecil B. Demented, and it was a great compliment to me. And I tried to imagine if there really was a Cecil B. Demented, what he would be like and how crazy he would be. I do the magazine for the people who read it. I don't do it for studio execs. I don't do it for actors or actresses. I don't do it for anyone else, but I do it for the people. Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night. It is Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, because I usually like to use him for the special occasions, is the one, the only, there are multiple, but he's my Mike White. I feel so special. Special on quotes? Yes, like the short, the short bus. Well, you know what else is special? AdamandEve.com. Go to AdamandEve.com. Use the promo code DROME. And you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free clit bumper, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now tonight, it's just going to be Mike and I, because we have a special topic, which I guess is good because Mike is special. Mike, you grew up reading Film Threat, right? What about Film Threat stuck out to you? I have to say it was a big F you to every other film magazine that was out there and that's really what i kind of appreciated and it really turned me on to a whole lot of things that i never would have gotten through my regular diet of uh, premiere eventually entertainment weekly and movie line i got to i have to agree with you film threat now i wasn't there at the very beginning obviously i came in at the end of the independent era which we'll get into in a little bit it was something totally different this was the one magazine that was talking about all of the movies that Fangoria wasn't touching, that Starlog wasn't touching, that Premiere and Movie Line and all the mainstream magazines weren't touching. And they were doing it in a manner that was really, I agree with you, really kind of a f*** you to magazine establishment. And I thought that was amazing. 
Yeah, I came in. Uh, I was not there at the very beginning, even though Chris was local, Chris Gore, who would put out the magazine down at Wayne State University. And I know that a lot of it was available through Thomas Video, which is where he was working for a long time. But I kind of came in when I went to college and would find the the magazine uh, more at Tower Records than uh, going to Thomas Video because I really didn't go up to Royal Oak too often. And, and this was a little bit past the city limits, it was actually in Clawson is where Thomas Video was. So it wasn't until I got to college that I finally picked up my first uh, issue. And I think the first issue I ever picked up was number 21, which had the drawing of uh, John Waters uh, and Tracy Lords for Crybaby on the cover of it, which is, I think, right before the Twin Peaks episode. I'm trying to figure out the chronology here, because, of course, they had to restart the numbering all the frickin' time. So the Twin Peaks one was issue number six of October 92, and the other one was issue 21, and who knows when this thing came out. Because I think that was the second to last issue of what what I, I guess we'll term the Chris Gore run. Because the, the final one was the one where he talked about sneaking onto the set of Night of the Living Dead 1990. So I think, though, because I, I know which cover you're talking about, I think that was like one or two issues before the end. Yeah, this was 1989, this was, uh, at least according to the uh, copyright inside. So I don't remember how I got my hands on this, and I know for sure I got the Twin Peaks one over at Tower Records, and that's where I steadily picked them up from then on, uh, at least while I was in college, and then finally got a subscription and went on from there and uh, until the end of that run of it so yeah very uh it's interesting how many different eras there were it's kind of like uh being a little bit of a man uh, a magazine anthropologist here in or an archaeologist i should say in a, in a way yeah let's talk about the magazine itself what film threat is film threat at least to me like we said was kind of the big fuck you to the establishment magazines but it was starting out as a as a a, a little photocopied fanzine i think about six pages long and it ballooned into this this kind of punk rock, do-it-yourself, screw the establishment. I mean, Chris talks a lot in some of the issues about how he basically funded his version of the magazine off of bad checks, and he uses the word fraud to printers. And I think you, you can't get much more punk rock than that, can you? No, and also kind of a, a dick move. <laughs> no, I, I'm not saying it was a good move. I'm just saying it's kind of punk. Oh, yeah, very much. It, it was very much a local thing. Like you said, it was sold in, in record stores. I remember there was a head shop near me that carried it. It, it was very much a do-it-yourself. You could tell that these were not professional writers, but they were film fans. The writing kind of showed that these were not professional writers. The, the issues are filled with typos, bad grammar, questionable thought. And I think that's its biggest draw when you look back at it, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's very much was playing with the same kind of punk rock aesthetic that was in Detroit via things like White Noise and Fun and, and eventually Orbit Magazine. And yeah, you can tell that it's got a lot of, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty much just chutzpah, you know, just uh, so many cartoons, so many just random things kind of pasted in the margins. You know, it, it was fantastic. You know, I'm looking at the uh, the one with Jean-Luc Godard getting a, a pie in the face, number nine, and just how much mixed media there is inside of this it's, it's kind of crazy and then it's 
taking itself a little too seriously at times and then taking the piss out of everything else at the same time. Looking at their uh, uh, articles about the mise-en-scene of uh, Back, Back to the Future and uh, even Blade Runner, and it's just like, oh, okay, these are kind of heady articles, but then you have bizarre things like, uh, you know, Backsight to the Future inside of here. That was the great thing for, for anyone looking for an alternative. The great thing about Film Threat was, like I said earlier, these were not the movies that were ever going to be covered in any of the mainstream magazines. I know Entertainment Weekly didn't technically exist yet, but since that was the big boy, this is the kind of stuff you were never going to see in Entertainment Weekly. Premiere, which was kind of Film Threat's rival, were never going to cover these kind of things. That is what drew people like you and I and a lot of Chris Gore's original readership to it. And then there was also the fact that, like you pointed out, there was some kind of dick moves in there. They made a lot of dick moves, not just towards Hollywood, but they burned so many bridges with that punk rock attitude. It's strange to see the next incarnation when Larry Flint buys them, how those burned bridges came back to bite them. So eventually the magazine, Chris Gore, I, I don't know if he couldn't sustain it or if Larry Flint just made him an offer he couldn't refuse Godfather style. At issue 22, Chris Gore's version of Film Threat ended, and then it was reemerged under Larry Flint, which was strange. But then Chris Gore also had his own version still running, but now called Film Threat Video Guide. So there was the old Film Threat style in Video Guide, and you had this slick, glossy I hate to say it, but very Entertainment Weekly kind of thing from Larry Flint, yet you could still feel the attitude through the, the LFP version, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and this was one of the things that helped is, from what I understand, a lot of the original writers kind of packed up their bags and moved out to Los Angeles with Chris. So this kind of helped inject a little bit of that uh, punk rock aesthetic out into where Los Angeles was at the time. I know at least at least three guys that kind of packed up the truck and moved to Beverly. The Larry Flint version lasted quite a few years, but a lot of people called Gore, and he talks about this in the interview I've got with him a little bit later, they kind of called him a sellout because now they're covering Batman and Natural Born Killers, big budget movies, and Howard's, you know, they're covering private parts and all this. Do you think that the LFP version was, was more of a selling out or more of a buying in? I would think it was more of a buying in, and I think if anything, they managed to use those types of ideas to be able to still sell some of the subversive stuff. I mean, I'm looking at the first few issues. Got yeah, Twin Peaks. You've got Reservoir Dogs, and they were one of the first publications, along with Orbit, to write about Reservoir Dogs. Freaked on the cover of one, Carnosaur on the cover of another. You know, the Fantastic Four one, of course. And it wasn't necessarily Private Parts, uh, though Private Parts might have been mentioned. But I mean, we've got Fart Man going on with one of the covers. So I think they were still using the platform to be able to sneak in some of those great things that people never would have really thought about or had seen before. And it made sense to slap, you know, Serial Mom on the cover. And it's a little bit different uh, having... <laughs> Kathleen Turner and John Waters on this as opposed to the other John Waters cover where it's a cartoon of him spanking Tracy Lords. But in essence, it's the same kind of stuff between the covers. Exactly. And that's that's one of the things I loved about this. Now, I never had a subscription. I can't remember if it was the Chris Gore era or the Larry Flint era where you got like a videotape. 
when you subscribed that had like some some short films on it or or some rock bands or something i've seen a few of these floating around on the secondary market do you remember that at all the the film threat video stuff i do remember it was you were supposed to get one when you subscribed to the film threat video guide and i thought i subscribed but i never ended up getting mine uh, that's actually a story i've heard a few times honestly uh, so that may have been something that just kind of happened yeah, yeah, I think and even I even talked to Chris at one point um during the run in in 93 94 and it was just like, "Oh, hey, I'd really like to get a copy of that videotape." And it's like, "Oh, yeah, 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 I'll send it to you." Yeah, no, never heard from him again. <laughs> it was many years later until I talked to Chris again. Let's talk about Chris then. As I said, I've got an interview with Chris and I'll mention why in a little bit. Now, Chris Gore is kind of a divisive figure in film nerd circles. Because he, he's seen as, like, when he went to Attack of the Show, I know a lot of people felt betrayed, like he sold out. And I'm thinking, no, not really, because he brought that same film threat sensibility to Attack of the Show. And he was talking about the stuff that Attack of the Show probably wasn't going to talk about without him. While I see what people, what their issue was, I don't, I don't consider Chris Gora a sellout. I've spoken to the man many times. I know you have. I found him to be a very nice, highly energetic, well-spoken guy. And... I've never really had a problem with the guy, yet there are some people that really do. Do you think sometimes the Chris Gore personality overrode film threat in any of its incarnations? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he was perceived around the area as being kind of a spaz, you know, just not necessarily. I mean, the whole idea of him defrauding people and stuff just wasn't very cool. And the way he kind of kept up with that a little bit. I mean, I kind of held his feet to the fire via an article that I printed in Cashews to Cinemart, where it was that whole idea of the lifetime subscription to the, let's call it the third incarnation of film threat. And you would send in a hundred dollars and get this lifetime subscription only to have them fold after a few more issues and i was like oh yeah i just paid 99 dollars for nothing two so, issues Th that third yeah. version ran for two issues before they went under yeah got uh steve's new fling him and chloe Svengi, and then uh courtney love on the next cover and that was it yep just those two and then you had a little personal beef with chris gore that lasted quite a few years that really amounted from a misunderstanding wasn't it Oh, you know, I actually didn't have any problems with Chris from that. It was it was more he and I had exchanged some emails in the late 90s. I mean, I think Film Threat, this last incarnation was coming out in 97. So it would have been somewhere around there sometime when email was starting to be popular and uh, was emailing him. And he wasn't happy about the whole idea of me, you know, printing this article about Film Threat ripping people off. Uh, I was more like, hey, you know, if you do something bad, I'm going to I'm going to be a dick back to you kind of. And so we exchanged these emails. They weren't necessarily the most amicable emails in the world. We fight like film nerds do. And then, uh, yeah, when I went to go on to the ultimate film fanatic TV show, I didn't realize that he was necessarily the host. And then it was like, oh, you've had contact before. You can't be on the show. So even if we had been best buddies, they wouldn't have let me on the show. So I really kind of understood where they were coming from. I wasn't very happy about it, and I kind of wish that I had known before I flew out there and missed my grandfather's funeral, all that kind of fun stuff, but he was actually very nice about it when I approached him a few years later to write the foreword to the Impossibly Funky book. He wrote the nicest intro that I've ever read uh, to the point where I got a little choked up reading it. So I thought that was really sweet of him. And we've actually been kind of friends ever since then. I think he's a stand up guy. Every everything he's promised that he'd do for me, he's done. 
You know, I bought a bunch of stuff from him and I got him. I mean, I'm not trying to make this sound like I'm insulting Chris Gore. I think he's a good stand-up guy. I'm just saying we got to put all the cards on the table, right? Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, if people heard me now saying that I like the guy, that I'm friends with the guy, they would have, they could easily go back to old issues of cashiers and be like, what the f*** are you talking about? You used to hate this guy. Nah, 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 nah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that was the case. But, you know, it's like, let's let bygones be bygones. You know, it was like, it's ironic that we're recording this on September 11th because there was that whole thing where it's just like, you know, you look at September 11th, 2001, and you think about like how people's problems just really don't amount to much when you compare it to like a national tragedy like that. And really it was on that day or the next day where I was just like, you know, I'm not really going to hold any grudges against anybody anymore. Cause that was really kind of silly. We're all in this together. So, you know, it kind of changed my life a little bit. And actually one of those things was, and including Chris Gore, I'm going to be nice to Chris Gore from now on. Cause when I thought about like, who's been a dick to me in the past or who I might've had a beef with in the past, it was like him and Todd Phillips, a couple other people. And it's just like, okay, no more. I'm, good i'm done and it's funny because i actually had friends who kept saying like you and chris gore would get along really well you really need to meet and talk and it's like okay well if that ever happens it happens and then fortunately it happened a few years ago at the blue water film festival and yeah we got along really well and we ended up being buddies What's, what Chris is trying to do now is, like we said, there was the th- a third incarnation after Larry Flint dropped the Meg. Now, at this time, Chris was working for Larry Flint in other capacity. He was, he, he was also working on Cinescape, the sci-fi magazine LFP put out. He was working on their video game magazine. He was working on Hustler and things like that. Which, by the way, it's really it's really strange, Mike, to go back and read old hustlers from that era and see him in some of the ad parodies. <laughs> That's just really strange to see. So then he got film threat back, and it folded after two issues. I don't know the backstory behind that one. And then film he sold the, he sold the rights to Mark Bell, who made the film threat website. Well, now Chris has got the rights back, and he's doing a Kickstarter to try and make this website everything it can be. He tried a Kickstarter a year or two ago, and he'll even admit he screwed that thing up and it was a disaster and it didn't make it. This one, at the date we're recording this, they're just over 50% of their goal, and we're asking you guys to try and help out. But first, let's hear from Chris Gore himself, and then Mike and I will be back. First, Chris, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. So, Film Threat was a big part of my life and my it Film Threat helped mold me into into the arguable movie curmudgeon that I am today. Do you get a lot of people that are so fond of Film Threat? I funny funny enough I actually do. I do get people who say that I I think the reason for it is because Film Threat started as a print magazine a fanzine in 1985 and then kind of developed into different incarnations of a, a printed magazine. But what, what I think is, was different about it was that it was kind of the attitude of the internet before the internet. Like the way that we kind of talk to each other now on the internet and discuss pop culture and film is the way film threat did it in print form, like in the late eighties and early nineties. That's which, which was the heyday of the print magazine. You also had the very great timing to come up right when indie film was really making its way into the mainstream too. It's it's weird because I, the first issue I put out as like a Xerox fanzine, it was six pages, and I was in uh, film school at the time. This was 1985. The word independent film didn't exist. You know, there were art films, there were cult films. The way that they used to refer to independent films then, they called them regional movies. 
And then it was like 1989 when Sex, Lies, and Videotape came out, and it played the Sundance Film Festival, and then it went on to win the Palme d'Or at uh, the Cannes Film Festival that year. The word independent got coined, because it wasn't quite an art film, but it was this completely independent voice, which was Steven Soderbergh. So it was really around 1989 when the Sundance Film Festival changed its name. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was originally called the United States Film Festival. And then in 1989, they changed it to, to Sundance. And then that's when the word independent was born. And then, and then independent films became kind of a section of the video store. That was like, there were cult films and other sorts of things, but independent, that term really became mainstream in the late eighties. Do you think film threat played a part in that? Because film threat to me was like you, like you put it, it was the internet ideal before the internet. It was that kind of fuck you. We're not premiere. We're not details. We're not Fangoria. We're not Starlog. We're going to honestly look at these movies. Yeah. No, well, I, I mean, I can't take credit for independent. I mean, all I know is we, we supported those types of films, the films that, you know, ended up becoming known as independent, but I don't think we were responsible for it. I think, I think the market, I think movie going audiences were just sort of sick of films at the time. It was kind of a reaction, you know, to, it was, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not a snob. I love good mainstream Hollywood entertainment as much as the next person, but after a while, it gets tired, you know, you're, 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 you, desire something different, something else. You know what I mean? You can't eat you can't eat steak or McDonald's every meal. You gotta mix it up. You know, you gotta mix it up between your, your fast food, you know, your schlock exploitation movies, and maybe like, you know, a, a fine steak and lobster, which is like, you know, an Oscar film, right? And then there's all types of different different ty- types of movies in between. So so I don't know, I just think that the the audiences they craved something something new. And there were a lot of, like, if you remember, the 80s was just filled with, like, a lot of bad action movies and a lot of bad teen movies. And I, I know that a lot of people praised the films of John Hughes at the time, but I hated those movies. I hated those movies because I hated the people that were the heroes of those movies because those were the people that I disliked in high school were those kids, those annoying suburban rich white kids annoyed the crap out of me. You know, I, I, I grew up uh, pretty dirt poor, you know, raised by a single mom. And I didn't relate to, even though I found like Ferris Bueller, I think is actually uh, likable in the sense that just because Matthew Broderick's character is so likable, but all those other John Hughes movies I despised seek out other kinds of films like John Waters movies or David Lynch, you know, later on, like Kevin Smith in the early 90s and stuff. So so that was really exciting. Do you think Film Threat was sort of an alternative to what was going on in film criticism with, like, all of the magazines and, and you had the, the TV critics and all that? Do you think you were providing an alternative voice for the people who thought Roger Ebert was a pompous blowhard? Well, well... Th- the thing is, is, I actually liked Roger Ebert a lot. I used to record his show when he was on PBS. I used to record it on VHS, and I would watch it because the reason is they would show scenes from movies. You know, you could see these scenes from The Empire Strikes Back, and then they would talk about The Empire Strikes Back. I, I, I didn't agree with him most of the time, and I thought that his taste was kind of milk toast. But, but later on, I think, I think Ebert really developed into, I mean, an important voice. But no, like I, I. I I, we were always sort of just being counter to what was the mainstream thing, what was the popular thing, because I felt like the popular movies, they had that covered. You know what I mean? The popular movies, they had support. 
They had people helping them. It was the small movies, the underground movies, the movies that just opened at the the art houses or the uh, what they call the uh, repertoire theaters, you know, repertory theaters, which which would show like movies like El Topo by uh, you know Alejandro Jodorowsky. Like those movies needed help. Those movies I always looked at like independent movies or alternative movies as kind of like birds with a broken wing, right? They're not perfect. They're injured, but. But the thing is, there's something to them. There's a creative spark. There's a spirit that can't be found in something like a Best Defense starring Eddie Murphy, which was a crappy movie that was out, was an 80s movie that I despise. But like, but so, so we tended to champion those kinds of films. And now, obviously, at one point, you got bought by Larry Flint Publications, and you worked for Larry Flint. What, That's true. What was different about the Larry Flint version of Film Threat than the Chris Gore-owned version of Film Threat? I, not, I mean, the thing is, is, we had to have covers that would sell, right? But we did. that didn't mean that we had to cover it the same way as Premiere or Entertainment Weekly. So, say, for example, when we covered the movie Batman Returns in 1992, that movie, we... we couldn't get access to it. I mean, Film Threat was a pariah. I remember trying, begging the publicist from Warner Brothers, please, you know, let us, you know, I am a Batman fan. Like, this is, you want me to be covering your movie. So I was, when, when they rejected me, I was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to do this differently. I found two guys who were extras on the set of the film who wrote a report. I hired a buddy of mine who was a deputy district attorney for the city of Los Angeles, and he wrote an article about all the crimes that Batman committed in the original 1989 Batman and how he would prosecute Batman if uh, Batman was erected, arrested by the LAPD. Then uh, we talked about that they didn't have Billy D. Williams, which seemed kind of racist, that they didn't, you know, uh, that, that he kind of disappeared. Harvey Dent, like where was Harvey Dent, right? So so we, we, we came at it from a different standpoint. We would always try to find a unique way to cover a movie because I knew that, Reviewing movies isn't unique. Anyone can review a movie. What what is unique is your voice. The vo- your voice is unique, and I think that that's something that we try to develop. So so while we might cover a mainstream film like Batman Returns and put it on the cover of Film Threat, the 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 way in which we cover it will be completely different than Entertainment Weekly or Premiere and whatnot at the time. Although I look now and I'm thinking like, well, now I look at Entertainment Weekly and it's like, those are like stories we wrote in Film Threat in the 90s. I feel like in a way, and they and they would copy me too, by the way. Oh, I, I caught Entertainment Weekly stealing from me all the time. It was really disheartening. I, I know you had an ongoing feud with Premiere as well. Premiere, yeah, well, they were just, they were just sort of mainstream pricks. But, but um, Entertainment Weekly in particular, we had a mascot in Film Threat magazine called Slate Boy. And in the very first issue of Entertainment Weekly, we that had Slate Boy in it, which was this little little mascot that just sort of ran around, and he was an upside down clapboard, and he was just sort of an angry. You'd see him sort of throughout the magazine as this little mascot. And Entertainment Weekly came out with Clappy, and it was in their film section. And I wrote them a letter, and then I and then I did a story on it in Film Threat, where I'm like, hey, you 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 stole this from us. Um, and then we would write about stuff, and of course they'd write about things six months later, like they discovered it. But but really, the it, it was film threat where a lot of stuff um, was being discovered, and it wasn't until it seemed safe that Entertainment Weekly or Premiere would come along and cover those things. So it was irritating because I felt like they, I, I was I was always being chased by them. It was it was it, it annoyed the crap out. When it went under from Larry Flint, you moved to the website, and we're moving into now the Kickstarter right. that you're doing. How was it different as Film Threat, the webzine, if you will? 
Well, first of all, what I love about the Internet is I think the Internet is the way that my brain works anyways, right? Like print, I always found print to be an incredibly inefficient, having worked in print for like 13 years, it's an incredibly inefficient way to distribute information. One, you can't get any more information than what's there. Secondly, you can't correct it if there's a fact or a typo. It's forever, you know, in print, which sucks. Secondly, uh, the, the time, I tried to shorten the time in which, like, we sent it off to press and then you were reading it. And I think I got it down to, like, between four and six weeks. But that's how long it took. They had to print it, ship it out. It was, it was just like, it just annoyed the crap out of me. Then the waste. One thing that, that bothered me is I would find out that it's like they would print 200,000 copies of Film Threat and then maybe 25 or 30% of those would sell. And the other hundred and whatever thousand that didn't sell, they just throw them away. And this is true for every print magazine. If you can sell 30 plus percent, that's considered good. But, but it was really wasteful. What I like about the internet is the instantaneousness, the fact that you can correct and update stories. You can, you can be interactive. It can, it can turn into a conversation. The fact that the instantaneousness of it, that has also created a lot of other problems. But, uh, <laughs> that's for another conversation. What happened with the website? Because you either lost or gave up Film Threat for a while, and now you have reclaimed the rights and you've reclaimed the name, correct? That's correct, yes. I actually sold it to Mark Bell, who worked for me for, gosh, years. And and he um, he wanted to take the, the website over, and I, I wanted to go and do other projects. So he made an offer to buy the magazine, but if he didn't fulfill the terms of the contract, the rights would revert back to me. I don't want to go into too much detail, but basically he didn't fill the terms of the contract. The rights reverted back to me, and I decided, like, well, if I'm going to take it back, i got to, like, i got to rebuild this whole website, and I don't have the money. I mean, the great thing about when I was working at G4 at Attack of the Show, I had, like, some TV money to throw around. I had, like, extra I, – I never needed to pay myself or anything. I would just – I would just put money into Film Threat, the website. It's more expensive to run um, a relational database website than one might think. It's not like just a, a WordPress blog because we had such an extensive archives of 80,000-plus stories. So when I got the website back, I needed to rebuild it. And, of course, I budgeted it out, and it ended up being more expensive than I thought, so I thought I'll do a Kickstarter, but I made every mistake in the book. I mean, I, I did... If there, if you checked off a list of the top ten mistakes that you made, uh, you could make doing a Kickstarter. I made eleven of those mistakes. So, so now what I've done is because the Kickstarter failed and it, it, sh- it deserved to fail, uh, I had people kind of step up and say, you know, there's a cheaper way to do this, or have you thought about doing this, or you know, I can volunteer this thing, but I can't do this for free, or this is a hard cost. So I rebudgeted. I sp- I've spent like the last year working on a book, a documentary, and the relaunch of the Film Threat website. So it's been, it's been, and these are some of the projects that I took some time off to work on, but now, now they're actually coming to fruition. So once we reach 50% of our funding goal, I'm going to release the trailer for the, uh, the sizzle reel and the trailer for the film threat documentary and any, uh, one of the first, the first stretch goal, once we get beyond, once we actually fund it, the first stretch goal is going to be money to shoot 
the interview scenes that we need for the documentary because we've we've got all this footage. In fact, um, you know, just because I know you, I'll I'll, sa- I'll send you a link to the sizzle and you can check it out. I'm pre- I'm pretty proud of it. So. I, I would love to see that because I remember a couple of years ago when I didn't know this was happening. I said to you. Chris, why is there no documentary on film threat? And you're like, just, just wait, just wait. Well, well, the thing is this, there's been, I've been approached by people for over 10 years. Like, you gotta make the film threat documentary. You've gotta make the film threat documentary. And I was like, all right, well, how are we gonna do it? Right? What's, who's gonna do it? And it, once, once that campaign to bring film threat back failed, it gave me time to actually work on it. Um, and I partnered with some some really cool filmmakers who, I mean, uh, we've digitized over a hundred hours of VHS footage to HD, scanned 5,000 photographs. We've got like this incredible film threat archive of letters. Just like I saved everything. So all this stuff exists, and and we put together a sizzle reel to just kind of give you a taste of what the tone of it would be, and it's definitely a punk rock documentary. I mean, I hope it inspires people who who see the documentary so that they can understand like exactly what kind of a struggle it was to actually you know create printed media in the '90s, especially when you're doing it underground. You know, I'm not, I, I was doing it with like no budget, and I'm I'm kind of used to doing it that way. But I'm excited to get back into it because. I really needed some time off and I feel like now that I've had that time off, I, I'm, I'm just re-energized. I like, I know how to approach film threat now. I see how it fits because I think a lot of our pop culture and film writers and film and TV writers, they're really obsessed with Marvel and DC and Star Wars. I, I, I like those things, but I like other stuff too and I like discovering stuff. So that's, that's what I hope to be able to get back to is discovering the new filmmakers out there on the horizon. Is the new film threat going to be just a website or are you going to come back to print as well? Just because, I mean, let's face it, print is, well, it, it is niche, well, but it's fun. Well, I, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but we are, it's going to be a website first. Then it's going to be an app. It's going to look like a magazine. You contribute to the film threat Kickstarter. Um, the first thing I do is send you a thank you, and then you get a, a link with a password so that you can look at what the new website will look like. So we already have a design for it, which is which is which I'm really proud of. The designer is a very accomplished designer who who works on mainstream websites. He just happens to be a film threat fan. So we have a design for this new website, and it looks like a magazine, like it's meant really to be read on a tablet. So it, you feel like you're reading a magazine. In addition, I'm going to put, be putting the entire archives of the print editions of Film Threat available for download for free so that you can just download and read the old issues of the magazine. You can even print them out if you want. We And then we're also going to be launching a podcast network, which is basically uh, a collective of film podcasts that we'll all share resources along with I'm creating a whole bunch of new podcasts which will be by uh, some of the new writers to the website. And I, I, I don't want to talk too much about those now, but they're really unique ideas. So returning to print, I just don't know. I think it'll be more like podcasts and whatnot, but I do want to do books. But most people like me, like I read, I listen to audiobooks. I buy audiobooks and I listen to those. I love them. I actually think that would be pretty interesting if you read every issue of the old film threat in an audiobook format. That would be <laughs> unique as hell. But I don't know. 
know. My, I mean, it could be kind of fun. I don't know. Like, audiobooks are so big. Like, I think one of the things we're going to do on the Film Threat podcast is, in the world of film, I'll have on a special guest, but I also want to have a segment where we take an old issue of Film Threat, and I tell you, like, the behind the scenes of it. Kind of like, um, did you ever listen to the Howard Stern show? Okay, but I, I grew up listening to Stern and first heard him when I lived in Detroit. It was weird. And when I moved to L.A., uh, that's when I heard him on K-Rock, and he was brilliant. I mean, I became an instant Howard Stern fan. But, but Stern um, has a show called The Wrap-Up Show. And the wrap-up show hosted by John Hine is a show where they go over what happened on the show today, what was behind the scenes. And kind of what I want to do is every episode of the Film Threat podcast, take an issue of Film Threat magazine and tell you the story of the behind the scenes, the fallout, like what directors called to yell at us after this issue came out. Like what what was the fallout? Like what things didn't make the issue, you know, like like sort of a director's cut version. And, and that'll be – that'll be its own thing so if you're a fan of the magazine that'll be like its own section so and that's also going to help with me uh completing this book project because i'm actually doing i'm actually doing two books one of them i'm writing myself the other one is being written by a guy named robert saint mary the first book is my first person account of doing film thread in the 80s and 90s it's really all about the print edition of film thread i'll get into the web stuff too it's called it's called film threat sucks it's because pretty much every issue of the magazine, I would get a letter telling me I sucked. And in spite of that, in spite of, you know, hearing, you know, that film threads sucked or whatever, that I would just, I'd continue doing it. It wouldn't stop me. All of the adversity and all the negative negativity that came my way just gave me fuel to keep going. Like, you know, fuck you like any punk punk would. And then the, the book that Robert St. Mary is doing is called The Worst of Film Threat. It's a book that's a collection of, you know, stories from film threat magazine behind the scenes of that it's it's a story of film threat but not from my point of view more of like a the point of view of like everyone who became involved in it so it's all the writers and everybody else that that became involved in film threat and then there's going to be unpublished articles are going to make it in letters and uh robert st mary did a similar book um called the orbit anthology but the book the worst of film threat so film threat sucks the worst of film threat um look for it in the next it's going to take a couple of years. It just takes it just takes a couple of years to do those things. Do you think that in the modern age, obviously we haven't seen what the new Film Threat website, you know, is going to do for film criticism. Do you think it's going to fit in, or is it going to be the spoiler that it was back in the nineties? Oh, I think that we're definitely going to cause trouble. I just I feel like I can't do anything without causing a little trouble. So that's I mean that's kind of my mo. <laughs> I know that that we're going to be getting into it, but but for the most part, the way I, the, how I feel about it is is that the market is covering certain things really well. I mean, I have personal favorite film websites that I read every day, and those those markets are being serviced. You know, I don't think we need another website, another geeky website, movie wet like that's that's. I feel like that's been covered. There are a lot of outlets. I, I actually think there's more outlets covering films today than movies being made in a year. We're, you know, we're talking about thousands. But there really isn't one that, that is discovering new filmmakers, meaning like movies made by people that don't have a publicist or a wide release and whatnot. So I think that film threat will fill the gap. I really think that like over the last couple of years, I just felt a sadness like, hey, you know, there really is no place for these people to go. And we never stopped receiving packages or messages. I still, like, even though, like, 
I'd not been affiliated with Film Threat for five years. It, Mark, it was Mark Bell's baby then. He, I, I kept, I got, I got emails every week from people. Every week. I got packages unsolicited from people. Please help me. Please help my film help this. And I was like, it's not my job anymore. You know what I mean? Like I can't, it's not my thing. But I feel like now, like, God, there, there really is no place for people to go. I really hope that Film Threat will do that. And then also, the one thing I think that, I think that we were, we were decent at was doing things like making fun of Hollywood. Um, that was something that I really enjoyed doing was messing with Hollywood, doing practical jokes and being, um, proactive. I really think that there, there was a certain kind of advocacy journalism Film Threat had. A Film Threat was not just a magazine. It was about a cause. You know, it was like a mission. I think that's why people still have such an affection for it. You know, they don't have that affection for Premiere or Entertainment Weekly so much because Film Threat wasn't just a magazine. It was like, this is a mission. This is like something we're, we're trying to accomplish something. You know, we're, we're trying to make, make serious points through humor. Glad that a lot of people got it. I, I actually think that the humor in Film Threat, when I read those old issues again, they're, they're fucking funny, man. I mean, the humor is brutal. And unfortunately, when you look back, I mean, I have listeners to this show who weren't born when Film Threat went out of print. And they're like, you're not going to get what those early 90s jokes are anymore. Sorry. No, no. But 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 applying that attitude to to a new website. I think will be, I think will be really productive. I think that, I think people will pick up on it because I think truthfully that the attitude of film threat was the attitude of the internet before the internet. Like it was just, it was that gonzo journalism kind of, you know, advocacy journalism. There was a mission behind it. There's, you know, and, and I think the humor is the thing that always saved us. You know what I mean? If we were just that, we would have been just a bunch of assholes. In this sense, we were kind of assholes with a sense of humor. All I'm saying is, don't become Ain't It Cool. But see, Ain't It Cool does its own thing well. You know what I mean? Like, I could never try to do what Harry does. I, I like, I like when Harry's really excited about something, he, he, he can help get me excited about something I would not have normally been excited about. So I, so I, I can't do that. You know, that's not my thing. But I think I can do, I can do what I do well, and I hope that people appreciate it. At the time of this recording, where is the Kickstarter right now? Are you at, are you at fifty percent yet, or uh, we're not at we're not at fifty percent? I think we're at twenty nine percent. I think okay. we're, we just hit twenty nine percent. So okay, that means so, you, the listeners, have to go to the Kickstarter and help Chris out because I want Film Threat back. Okay, I'm helping out in any way I can, which means you have to as well. Chris, come on. Help me a little here. Well, the, well, the thing is, we're twenty nine percent. Here's the you just go to filmthreat.com because filmthreat.com points you to the Kickstarter, right? So if you just go to filmthreat.com, you can get a DVD. Uh, one of the one of the backer rewards is a DVD for twenty five bucks. I will sell send you one of the worst DVDs out of my personal collection. The other some of the other rewards are a film threat T shirt designed by. Chris Prynoski of Titmouse Animation Studios. I mean, if you know Titmouse Animation, they did shows like Venture Brothers and Metalocalypse. They do a lot of animation. They're doing this show called Son of Zorn. That's Chris Prynoski's animation company, Titmouse. So Chris was like involved in Beavis and Butthead in the beginning. I mean, he, when MTV was doing animation, like he is, everyone in the world of animation knows Chris Prynoski. He's a huge film threat fan. So one of the rewards is an exclusive t-shirt. It will only be made for backers of the campaign. So, and I'm actually selling artwork from 
old issues of Film Threat, original artwork by some of the artists. So I went to the Film Threat archives, I pulled out a bunch of stuff I thought I could part with, and I've actually put it up. So there are a lot of rewards where there's only one thing, a lot. And some of it, a lot of it from my personal collection. So that's why I'm asking listeners, go out and help out if you can. Or if not, go find some old shoes and just read them. You sold me like a huge stack of them for a pretty cheap price a couple of years ago, man. Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, no, I was, cause I had, I just, it was just I don't have room. Now I have only one copy of every issue. I, literally, in, in my place right now, I have one copy of every issue and I'm missing about five issues. There's five issues I just don't have any copies of. Cause, and some of them are incredibly rare where we printed less than, ten, less than 2,000 copies. Yeah, I really regret getting rid of some of these other issues. It's, uh, yeah. Do you want me to send you it's some hard. of my doubles? If you have some doubles, man, let me know which ones you have. But if the campaign gets funded, all of the issues will be online, every single one. So you'll be able to just print them out or download a PDF or or whatever. So so that's really that's exciting to me. Is that like, well, if it gets funded, everyone gets everything, all the issues. If it if it doesn't get funded, I just don't have the money to to bring a movie website back and maintain it. I just don't have it. So, Mike, what do you think about Film Threat coming back, whether it's just as a website if the Kickstarter is successful, which let's hope it is, or do you think Film Threat would have a chance with that punk rock style, the old late 80s, early 90s, pre-Larry Flint style as a print magazine? Gosh, I don't know if anything would have a chance as a print magazine anymore, especially just because of the distribution stuff. I mean, I would subscribe to it in a heartbeat and then you have the whole problem of the mail being so expensive these days i mean even bulk mailing is incredibly expensive i would say as a website it's definitely got a chance i thought mark bell did a terrific job with what he did with the website for filmthreat.com and i would love to see that come back i think that punk rockness has turned a lot into smarminess that's what other websites kind of specialize in like i'm thinking of like an up rocks or film drunk where it's just like anything that comes out we're gonna shit on yeah you need to be a little bit more constructive than that you need to have good and the bad and that was one of the things i liked about film threat was that they would call out the bullshit and then really amp up the idea of that there is great stuff out here you just need to look for it and here are some of the things that we think you would like in the old pre-Larry Flint zine, even when they would talk about a movie that they didn't like, you'd see the writer just shitting all over a film. But then they would point out maybe the score was great, or it had really good, or it had really good cinematography or something. Inst- nowadays, because I agree with you, nowadays it's all about what's wrong with a movie, not what's wrong with a movie, but here's what they did right. Exactly. And, you know, and actually talking to some of the people that are making these films and not necessarily amping up or or pumping up everything in the world. You know, everything right now seems to be either this is the best thing that's ever happened or it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And there needs to be that middle ground. And I think that's what Film Threat managed to do. I think it even managed to do it kind of inadvertently because sometimes some of the writers would say that this is shit and then another writer in the same episode or same issue would say, no, this is great. And they wouldn't necessarily have a debate about it. It It's just depending on what page of the magazine you're on. So you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) So they didn't have the definitive view on everything. And I kind of appreciated that, that there was no real party line as far as like, 
film threat says this is garbage. It's like, well, this writer said that it was garbage, but this writer said it was pretty good. And see, I actually, I used to work for a website and the magazine Geek Magazine, and I quit there because they did that. Everything Uh had to be positive. They said there's too much, and I printed this in an old Sanity is Razor Thin column, but they said there is too much negativity in the geek in geek culture out there right now. Let's focus on the positive. Even if it's a bad movie, let's accentuate the good things of that movie. And they were all about being positive geeks, which I can understand. That's an amicable ideal to have. But I don't think that's actual criticism then. And that's what I think Film Thread excelled at. It was actually criticizing the movies in both the positive and the negative. Well, I have to say, you mentioned Film Threat Video Guide, and that never, to me, got as much credit as it deserved because they were doing such an amazing service. I mean, this was the days of, obviously, well before YouTube and just tapes flying every place, little film festivals all over the place, and they would get these tapes, and they would, you know, if something was great, they would laud it and just say, you really need to check this out. You need to send the $5 to so-and-so and and pick up a VHS copy of this. And if it was garbage, they would call that out, too, which was nice, and they had a a rating system to say, you know, how are the effects? How's the acting? How's this? How's that? Great that they did that. And there's no real service like that these days. There's every once in a while, something kind of bubbles up from YouTube. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, I'm sure there's still a ton of short film festivals happening out there. I know there's still underground film festivals happening out there, but there's no real way to get the word out a lot of times. And this was a, a great way of saying like, okay, here's 150 reviews of stuff every month or two. And they were just knocking it out of the park. Do you think, though, that in the internet culture, the way it is, that film threat, whether it's just a just a website or not, do you think it has a place? Or do you think there are so many sites that have emulated the film threat style? And I'm not trying to kiss ass to Chris Gore here, but I think they really did kind of pioneer what, what we now think of internet reviewing prior to the internet. So I'm going to call it film threat style. Do you think so many places have aped that, that their voice will just get lost amongst all the imitators? No, I think as long as they still have the strong writing, I I would hope that that would be enough to differentiate them from a lot of these sites. Because most of the time, there are times where I want to quote articles every once in a while online, and sometimes just finding the name of the writer is one of the most difficult things. And sometimes you just have to credit to the website. You're like, I have no idea who wrote this on this particular page of this uh, site, so I'm just going to credit it to the site. And I would like it if we had the strong writers that Film Threat once had kind of back in place so you could say oh this person is like this it's it was kind of like that whole idea of the entertainment weekly thing where you could say oh owen gleiberman he really liked this this and this while lisa schwartzbaum liked this that and the other thing when you had strong writers like that with film threat and you had of course the personality of gore kind of overshadowing everything so it really felt more like a i don't want to say a family or anything but you you got to know the people that were involved in it whereas now it seems much more anonymous I mean, I'll say that Film Threat is going to have some tough competition out there when it comes back. I mean, there are sites that are doing some good stuff. You know, I think Dangerous Minds does some great stuff. There used to be one called, uh, what was that, Uh, Topless Robot that had good stuff. Geekadelphia has good stuff. So there are good sites out there. Can Film Threat raise above? I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that that name still has cachet. I'm not sure if it does. People my age, people your age, we still remember it, and we would definitely give them the time of day. I just hope that the kids kind of figure out that Film Threat was something and can still be something. 
Gore, when the website goes up, if the Kickstarter is successful, is going to digitize every single issue of Film Threat from all of the versions and put them up for free. I think that'll give people a great access to the exact thing we're talking about. So I think that's cool that he's not charging for it. And it's like, no, you get all these for free. Well, But let's talk about the Kickstarter a little bit. At the time of this recording and when this episode goes up, I think they still have about two weeks left. Right at 50% right now. Worth asking, I guess, for you guys to help out. I'm doing my part. Mike's doing his part. Let's help Chris because I think film threat can work in this environment. And I think I, I think film criticism needs another film threat at this point. Yeah, I won't disagree with that at all. I, I totally think you're right. I'm not sucking film threats, Dick. Like I said, they've had problems. I didn't agree with them. I thought certain things that they did were wrong. But that was a magazine that, I hate to say it, that helped shape my tastes, or lack thereof, in film. Film Threat exposed me to stuff, like I said, would never, I would have never encountered. My mom had a subscription to Entertainment Weekly. I read that every week. Film Threat showed me movies that I could never have even seen a one-line mention of in Entertainment Weekly. And that helped make me the cynical jackass I am today. Right. Before having, what was what was that, uh, the, uh, the, the Todd Haynes film that actually made a big splash a few years ago, well before uh, Carol and these kind of things, well before that, I mean, Film Threat has Todd Haynes as a cover guy, you know, talking about Karen Carpenter, uh, the superstar movie, and uh, Poison on there. And it's just like, wow, yeah, you know, Daddy Gets Spanked, these great cutting-edge avant-garde films that nobody was talking about. I think Poison might have gotten some write-ups, but yeah, I mean, years, years later is when Entertainment Weekly finally goes, oh, yeah, the superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, we should write about that. There are there are things I've read in Film Threat Video Guide specifically, but Film Threat itself. There are films I've still never been able to find, not on Cinemageddon, not on, you know, somebody uploading a weird copy to Daily Motion or Vimeo. There are films out there that I'm still interested in based on their write-ups. I can't even find the director. There's no MDIB page or anything. Thing. That fascinates me that I still want I'm still looking for a film I read about 25 years ago. I, I know you've got kind of got that same thing. You still have films on your want list, Mike, that I'm sure you have not that you've been looking for for 20 plus years, haven't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. And film threats where I encountered these things. I mean, Film Threat was doing what people in the New York Underground were doing, you know, 20 years prior, but they were doing it, you know, they, they were still doing it, you know, because people like uh, Amos Vogel, yeah, they gave us a fantastic book, but after that, it's like, who else is going to kind of pick up the mantle, and especially who's going to pick up the mantle in the video age, and Film Threat was the one that did that. I'm saying, guys, if you can help support Film Threat do so. Oh, and I apologize for some of the technical issues with this, with not just the Chris Gore interview, but with everything here. There are certain technical things going on right now that I'm trying to work out, but Mike has been a stalwart warrior in all this. I would say if you haven't read Film Threat, you need to kind of track down, at least look at the Wikipedia article and find out a little bit more. I mean, you, you've, you've not experienced anything like it in the last... 20 years this is I not this is not like reading fangoria this is not like reading no. entertainment weekly no definitely not even the slickest of fangoria or sorry 
the slickest of film threat was still so different than anything that Fangoria would give you. And Fangoria, I mean, let's be honest, Fangoria and, and these kind of magazines, they're looking at one genre, whereas film threat was looking at all genres. You know, there were things in here that you never would have seen anyplace else and just things that cross genres. I mean, I don't think anybody was giving Freaked a cover article at the time and Freaked is still to me one of the best movies that's ever been made and here they are giving it you know a cover uh, interviewing uh, uh, Alex Winter and Tom Stern you know just they were they were doing amazing things and I have a feeling that they're still going to be doing some amazing things so yeah if you uh, if you like film I would say go to the Film Threat Kickstarter and give until it hurts they had some of the most self-deprecating movie nerd humor I've when I reread the issues a couple of years ago I was like like, man, that is still biting. <laughs> even more so now in the age of the internet, and they didn't even know about that. Yeah, they were never afraid to put themselves down. I mean, it's lovely that, you know, film threat sucks is more of the, uh, the one of the catchphrases for them. You know, they, they take the piss out of themselves, which I really appreciated. Like, there was nobody getting a, a swelled head. In, in fact, the documentary Gore is trying to make is called Film Threat Sucks. God, I can't wait to see that documentary. The sizzle reel, which the day we're recording this just went up on YouTube, promo trailer. Yeah, it, it got me pumped again. Because I'm like, God, I remember those days. I remember buying this magazine. I hate to say memories are linked to a freaking magazine, Mike, but they are, aren't they? Oh, yeah. God, I would pour over these episodes. Uh, I would pour over these issues. I mean, they uh, <laughs> some of them are in danger of falling apart because I would read them so many times. Because, again, it's like, oh, what was the name of that film? What was this? Oh, who, who said that? And just going back and rereading magazines from years prior. What other magazines do you do that with, really? Exactly. Well, I, I do know one. It's like a CDC or something. Which is hilarious because I didn't know when I did Cashier's Du Cinemart that on the cover of this film threat, uh, the one with uh, uh, Godard on the cover, it says Cashier Du Cinema on the cover of it, which is hilarious. And I'm like, I swear I never saw that when I came up with Cashier's Du Cinemart, but I guess great minds think alike. That said, where can we find your great mind thinking alike? You can find me uh, nowadays rather than writing. I'm just talking, so talking a lot over at uh, projectionboothpodcast.com. And every once in a while, I'll still write stuff, but uh, usually you can find that over at impossiblefunky.blogspot.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Go to the Film Threat website, filmthreat.com, and it will bring you to the Kickstarter. Help Chris if you can. If not, just watch the just watch the trailer on YouTube and enjoy it. So keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.